Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CMAX podcast. My name is Brenda Lee. This is episode 23. I'm here with Clarissa McCallum. Hello, Clarissa. Hi, Brenda. Today, we're really excited to start a new series for the podcast called the Legacy Series, which is really in celebration of our 50th anniversary. And for our first episode, we're really, really happy that we were able to snag Brad Sales, CMEX Chief Operating Officer, for a few minutes of his time to give us some reflections and some look forward. Hi, Brad. Hello. Good to be here. Welcome. So, Brad. I think it would be fair to say you've got a history in the dairy industry almost as long as CMEX. And for those listening who might not know your background, can you tell us where you came from? And uh, for anybody listening, that's, of course, Brydon Farms and all the multiple hats you've worn at CMEX. Well, thanks, uh, Brenda. And, and it's um, quite an honor to be part of this legacy series. Uh, legacy is kind of a, a bit of a dangerous word because we spend most of our time looking forward, certainly. Uh, but when I received these questions the other day, it was kind of uh, interesting as well to think back, uh, you know, over time and, and through the industry. So I was pretty fortunate uh, growing up. I grew up on a, a dairy farm in southwestern Ontario. Um, at the time, my my father was quite an innovator and uh, always tried to be one step ahead. And, and I know on our farm at home, uh, we conducted some of the first uh, embryo transfer work in Canada at the time, uh, working with Viapax uh, near Toronto. And I think we had the first embryo uh, resulting calves uh, from the Jersey breed actually born uh, in Canada as well. So uh, I think I was pretty lucky to be born into a, an innovative environment. And I really tried to carry that uh, through my career. Certainly 4-H was important to me from a very young age when you're on a farm at that time and really not a lot of exposure to the outside world. If you really didn't, you know, watch the 11 o'clock news or, you know, read a newspaper every day, you really had to, you know, get out and experience some different things uh, firsthand. And uh, I think that 4-H experience was great for me. Uh, the regional conferences, the leadership camps, uh, certainly the livestock you know, competitive uh, exhibitions that you competed in were all great, but uh, certainly I think it's some of those soft skills in life that 4-H was or has provided so many of us uh, with a great opportunity. I worked on the farm at home for a couple of years and at the same time had an opportunity to work uh, with some show strings of some different farms uh, really globally uh, from North America to South America and into Europe as well. And that just really expanded my uh, opportunity, I guess, to meet some different people and really realized at that time that there's a lot of ways to get similar things done. And I, I think that was an important bit of experience as well. And then when I was about 21 or so, um, I had a conversation with Lowell Lindsay and uh, Lowell said that they were looking uh, for someone to join United Breeders at the time. And a few months later, I joined in July of 1988 as a sire analyst, a uh, bit of a product support role, I suppose. Uh, and then after that, I moved into a, a marketing role when GenCore was formed, when uh, United Breeders and Western Ontario Breeders joined together. And I worked closely with Brian O'Connor at that time uh, as our manager. And then I joined CMEX in uh, 2007 and began to work with Paul uh, and the team at CMAX more focused on the global market. 
I uh, started in international sales management. Um, after that, I uh, worked closely with the global marketing team. And Brenda, you'll remember, maybe remember that. Mm-hmm, uh, at sure that do. time, we were lucky enough to bring things like Immunity Plus to the market. And then I moved back into product development in uh, in the genetic side of the business in 2015 and 16 as uh, one of my great mentors, Pierre Liliberté, uh, retired at the time and uh, was lucky enough to move into to that position. And then more recently, I started working as chief operating officer uh, with the entire supply chain, uh, all the way from product development and genetic acquisitions uh, through to our laboratory team, sex team, and, and, uh, and so forth. So I've been pretty fortunate. I've been able to see uh, lots of parts of the industry, and uh, I've been a very, very fortunate employee of the, of the industry for sure. Absolutely. You've worn a lot of hats, um, but I'll bring it back to the start a little bit. If you can tell us what your first days looked like at United Breeders. Well, there was there was a lot of naivety on my part, probably. I, I remember I started in July and the first, uh, you know, statutory holiday we had was in August and I showed up at work because I didn't know it was a holiday. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I had a lot of learning to do, a lot of listening to do, um, you know, in the in the very beginning. Uh, but I would say, you know, Lowell at the time, Wilbur Schantz were a couple of great leaders and they really had a an idea to let people do what they do best and probably as with 4-H, you learn to do by doing, but you also learn from your mistakes sometimes. So that was pretty interesting. Uh, uh, really, in the early days, uh, you know, uh, outside of Lowell and, and Wilbur and their support, I had a ton of support from our AI technicians. Uh, we had AI technicians from, you know, Woodstock to Peterborough to Thunder Bay in the north. And those technicians, they... I think really took me under their wing a lot of times because when I needed to visit farms in their area, you know, I could show up at their office at six or six thirty in the morning when they were getting all their uh, breeding calls for the day, and they all put maps together for me and tell me what color the houses were and the barns were, and <laughs> make sure I got on my way. and And that really helped a lot, and that was the basis for a, a lot of my experience. Um, in the early days, we'd target forty to fifty farm visits per week. Uh, to look at young sire daughters or support what our technicians and our sales teams were doing. And we also had a mating program that Paul Armour actually developed uh, called Unimate at the time. And we could put in two or three faults that a cow had and the computer would spit out the bulls that, you know, you were to use on those particular animals. And we would often target 10 or 15 uh, herds a week if, if we were running that mating program as well. So, the early days were filled with a lot of farm visits, for sure, uh, and uh, you know I think that provided some great, great experience. Yeah, speaking of the Unimate, I think our Facebook fans will see a picture of that pretty soon. Um, mm. East East Chan shared a photo that's that's pretty neat of Paul running that program. Yeah. Um, so thinking back to your role as a sire analyst, who was the first bull you bought? Well, when I when I first started in as, as a sire analyst, I'm not sure they were ready to turn me loose. So it was <laughs> it was it was a bit of a committee approach, and you know, as Lowell and others have probably said before, um, you know, a lot of the genetic decisions and direction of the organizations, and they still are today, you know, as we're farmer directed, we we worked with a lot of uh, farmer groups and committees. 
I probably think back to my Jersey days, wolves like Salton and Comerica were probably a couple of the first wolves I bought, you know, kind of all on my own. But certainly in the Holstein days, we had bulls like Lindy and Broker at the time. Uh, then Co-Star Leader came along a little bit later on. And, um, you know, all bulls to be proud of. But, you know, I think the thing that probably gives you the most satisfaction is when you visit the farms and you see the progress that, you know, the farms would make over time. And, and the increase in production, the better classification, which was really driven by better udders and 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 better feet and legs through the years i i think is probably what you know i'd be most satisfied with uh looking back is there anyone that you would call your favorite comerica or salton my favorite bull i i think salton probably was yeah. my favorite bull because he he might not have been a bull that everybody would have bought at the time but when i worked with uh bill taylor and gretchen taylor at uh, sycamore hill at the time uh, they had this beautiful open rib uh, Dunga Jude daughter that was bred in Ontario that just gave a ton of milk. And there was uh, a couple of bulls at the time that we had to pick from. And I'm not sure if I picked the bull or Gretchen picked the bull or Bill picked the bull, but we got the right one anyway. <laughs> we can and, ask Gretchen. Um, She'll tell us for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I mean, I, I think that was, uh, you know, quite satisfying because we were able to combine kind of the best of the Canadian genetics with longevity and strength and solid type with uh, what was a pretty good bull in the U.S. at the time. So um, I, I think early on that would have been one I remember for sure. I'll flip gears a little bit. Um, and some of our listeners may not know this, but almost 10 years ago, we moved our headquarters from Stone Road in Guelph to what was United Breeders and then the Gen Corps office just outside of Guelph on Highway 6. Um, that was a huge undertaking for us and obviously a sign of our growth. But how do you think that move changed CMEX? Well, I, I'm not sure if it's a, if it's a change of CMEX or it was just a continuation of of the progressive approach that, you know, our farmer boards uh, of our owners here in Canada have taken with our business uh, all the way through the years. Um, as with all of our farmer customers out there, you know, you need to reinvest in your business. You need to keep your facilities current. You need to look after your teams that are executing all the jobs that we need to do as a business on a day-to-day -day basis. And we need to make sure that we're able to utilize new ideas and and technologies that can make the business better, you know, over time. And I think all of those things really, when it when it comes down to it at CMEX, there's three things that we or that we strive to do or that I've always strived to do. You know, you can help your clients, you know, produce more, more milk or more beef. Uh, you can help their cost of production go lower and you can save them time. And I think when we're reinvesting into our business, we we take that same approach. It's got to accomplish all of our investments need to accomplish one of those three things. Uh, we've either got to produce more, cost less or save people time. And I think that's a, an important focus of the business. Absolutely. And, and you know, we've we're we've done what we're preaching there in that we've had some construction and some renovations to make things more efficient at CMEX in the past couple of years. So maybe not everybody knows about all of that, but what does that mean to our business? Well, I, I think, you know, as I, as I mentioned before, it's just about keeping things current and leaving the business uh, in a place where it can continue to grow and evolve and, and lead the industry with new ideas and products and, 
and uh, and concepts. Uh, I think the investment really uh, is designed as a long term uh, approach for for sure. And um, I think the investment in sex semen, the investment in more modern facilities for the bulls uh, not only helps our staff, but it's a better environment for the bulls, which is going to help them uh, not only produce more product, but also a better quality product uh, in the long run. Looking back, Brad, what do you think are one or two major events in AI history that have a have had a big impact on CMEX and our industry as a whole? Yeah, that that's a that's a big question. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> it is. You know, over a lot of years, there's a lot of things happen, but I, I think there are three or four things that you know I'd like to point out. I think mm-hmm. one of the one of the first major events was that in Canada. Uh, Our farmer-driven co-op structure that was established back in the 1950s and having the breeders involved in the directing and the protecting of our business over the long term, um, I think has been, you know, a pretty important achievement in the business. Uh, CMEX and, you know, our owner partners in Canada, uh, it's never really been about uh, sacrificing, you know, long-term success and sustainability for a short-term win or a short-term gain. And, and I think, uh, you know, our farmer owners and directors have really driven that culture through our business. So I think our farmer directed and co-op structure in Canada uh, has been pretty important for, you know, the history of AI, uh, certainly in Canada. I think the genetic evaluation platforms, you know, led and driven by guys like Dr. Burnside and Dr. Larry Schaefer, Brian Van Dormel through the years have, they've always done a good job of, you know, joining industry objectives with you know scientific advancement and while there's been a little bit of you know push and pull over the years um you know i think they've really driven the the industry in a good direction and and really have led the world with uh, the development of of the animal model and the implementation of the animal model i should say and and things like that in canada really make sure that keeps our genetic evaluations in a in a leading position I think um, also in Canada, we've been pretty lucky to have some pretty strong infrastructure programs through the years. I mean, Lactinet, the services that they provide, uh, but more importantly, the management benchmarks that they're able to calculate and set uh, for others to work towards to achieve. uh, And the data collected, I think, has been kind of the backbone of the industry. And of course, you combine that with the, the herd book at our different breed associations. Uh, the classification program now driven by Holstein Canada, uh, those things have all supplied uh, a lot of really good data uh, in which our genetic models have have been able to leverage for some pretty strong and, and reliable proofs through the years. And then I think genomics, everybody likes to talk about genomics, but while it's not perfect, it, it really allows us to pre-screen the bulls that we're bringing into our program. And I think that pre-screening does probably as good a job of keeping bulls out of the program as it does identifying, you know, who's going to be first, second, or third. So we've been able to really refine uh, a lot of our selection strategies. Uh, we have been able to diversify at CMEX too, which is one thing that not everybody's been successful at. But I think because we are a global business and we um, we target so many different product segments globally. Sometimes we find bulls that, you know, we purchase for one segment end up doing a really good job in another segment. And I think some of that 
uh, has allowed us to, to introduce a lot of new bloodlines into the, the population uh, here in Canada as well. But probably genomics, what it does for us now is it allows us to get some evaluation on some different traits. Uh, Immunity Plus has been a fantastic trait for our customers, and it's fantastic because it works. I mean, you can, you know, good cowmen as they identify themselves, they can always tell, you know, which are the calves that are doing well in the pens and cows that don't get sick. You know, you can tell by how they act, how they eat, the aggressiveness that they have, and you know, these high immune response animals, they're they're around for the long term. So that has been a, a genomics has allowed us to really uh, amplify our, our impact of that trait. And of course, more recently, uh, the methane trait as well. And that trait is going to become only more uh, reliable as we as we move forward. And I think things like that are going to be uh, a great contribution to the industry uh, in the long term. For sure. No, no arguments on any of those very, very important things that happen in the history of AI. Also, I think um, something to talk about in at CMAX from our perspective in 2013, we formed a uh, Progenesis. And, you know, can you give us a little bit of the history of Progenesis, our, our product development, our internal program, how it started and, and what it's doing for our business? Well, back in you know 2013, really through to 2015, it was, uh, I mean, it was really a transitional time uh, for the industry because genomics was beginning to take its its impact. Uh, a lot of our competitors in the market were beginning to restrict uh, genetics that breeders could and couldn't use in the marketplace, and CMEX waited a long time. We we waited as long as we could before we, you know, made investments in females and and elite genetics. But it became clear, kind of through that period of time, that if CMEX was going to fulfill our mandate um, of providing the world's most elite genetics to our our farmers here in Canada at a reasonable cost, that in order to do that, we were going to have to have some kind of ownership and control uh, of elite genetics. And the objective of Progenesis was never, and still isn't, uh, to provide all the bulls that we need for a program. But what we're able to do that by controlling or owning some of those elite genetics, we're able to leverage that to get uh, some good genetic agreements uh, with some of the key breeders in, in North America and globally. And really, um, really what it's allowed us to do is, is to branch out and diversify our bloodlines. We've had semen sharing agreements, we've had female uh, joint ventures that we have put in place with Progenesis and really I think it's helped us maintain uh, our globally competitive role. And, and you know I think currently the Progenesis program probably supplies 40 to 45 percent uh, of our product line globally. Uh, we focus a lot on the different product segments as well, uh, but I really don't see it going any higher than that in the future, but uh, I think it's something that we've been able to leverage very, very well. And it would be another good example of, you know, where our farmer directors, I think, took a pretty proactive and responsible approach. Uh, they understood the need for the new direction and the new strategy. And uh, we were able to work with some of our global partners at the time, Alfonso Ajedo in particular. Uh, our Spain distributor was a big uh, original investor in the Progenesis program. And then eventually CMEX took full control of it and it continues to uh, excel today. 
Certainly. And also something that Progenesis has provided is is embryos for yes. our embryo program for our clients to purchase and, you know, you know, fast track their own genetics. And really and really the Progenesis program, I mean, it it allows us to leverage all the tools that we have, um, you know, in our toolbox as a business. And when you think about the brands that I talk about and the genetic evaluations and all of those things, but also Bobitech, um, you know, that was uh, I think Robert Chaquine at the time and and, you know, certainly the the farmer boards at the time when they developed Bobitech, which was an embryo focused uh, research and development entity that developed into a commercial embryo production business and then into IVF or in vitro fertilized embryos eventually. Uh, we've been able to move right along with Bovitech and all the technologies that they provide. Um, and, you know, we just had a wonderful preg check last week. I think we're over 60% on, on pregnancies from our Bovitech embryos uh, last week uh, from our, our Progenesis program. So it's not always that high every week, but, you know, we continue to improve and uh, those technologies have been very important for the business. For sure. Um digging back into history a little bit uh, I think it would be wrong of us to not talk about um, something that CMAX is known for globally which is our millionaire sires um, Hanover Hill inspiration was our first millionaire sire and we've had 13 more millionaires in the following 20 years after that what do you think made these bulls millionaire sires well, I think a lot of the things that I talked about before, um, you know, the infrastructure that we have in Canada, the accuracy of, you know, the genetic evaluations, I think have been very, very important. But I think also our sales teams, our our sales teams globally were kind of genetic advisors a long, long time before we started calling them genetic advisors. Uh, you know, they always made sure that farmers were using the bulls that were going to work in their particular you know, management system or how they were paid for their milk. And I think getting these bulls in their early proven days used in, in the right herds and in the right way that, in, I guess, used in the herds where they could be successful, I think was really important. And that just led to more good daughters being born. And then, you know, you get different markets globally that, uh, you know, start to, to want to utilize those genetics. So, I, I think the sales teams were pretty important to the success of, of those millionaire sires for sure. And with all of the changes that we've seen in our industry, do you think the days of millionaire sires are over? Will we see another? Well, that's a good question. I, I mean, never is a long time, so I wouldn't say never. Uh, and you never know, I just used the word, but you know, new technologies, <laughs> new technologies are uh, always coming along. So I, I think the probability that there will be another millionaire sire, I think there probably will be. Um, you know, of course, it's different now with sex semen and, uh, you know, the volume outputs being different than maybe they were in the past. I think the use of genomic bulls and genetic strategies where bulls are used more as a team of bulls rather than individuals, certainly in the beginning, uh, you know, maybe limits some of the sales a little bit, but um, I think overall, as technology begins or continues to advance, uh, I think we'll see it again someday. It's going to be a lot of people on Facebook happy to hear that, Brad. It's yep, in the discussion well, groups all the time. Yeah, well, we need to have something to post on Facebook, so maybe <laughs> That's we do right. Maybe one. we yeah. will, yes, yes. Yeah. So 
thinking back on your career, Brad, and I added this question because I thought, man, you've done a lot of things. You've traveled a lot of places. You were, you know, at, you know, the beginnings of CMEX. So when you look back, what do you think you're most proud of? Um, I, I think I'm most proud of, of all the breeders and, and managers that, you know, gave you advice over the years. I mean, to think that, you know, everything or can make a, a decision on behalf of the industry, you know, without having enough information, I think would be pretty naive. So I, I think I'm most proud of CMAX because we listen and I'm most proud of our partner owners all the way back to, you know, BCAI and British Columbia. Uh, we had Western Ontario breeders and, and uh, United breeders and Eastern breeders in Ontario, and then tremendous leadership uh, from the group in Quebec uh, at CIAQ. I think the fact that we're very responsive to the needs of our customers and that we never take a, a short-term decision for short-term gain that would sacrifice long-term success. And really the work that, that our staff and that our boards have done in reinvesting in sorting machines and new housing for the bulls and investing in research to make a better semen product, Bobitech research for you know better and, and higher quality embryos, those are all things designed to, to drive the business forward uh, in a successful way over the long term. And I think it's that culture of making sure we're working on things that are going to have positive impacts in our customers' herds uh, that's been the, the greatest success uh, that I would see in the business. I think uh, another thing that the industry in Canada should be uh, very proud of is, is obviously we're operating a global business at CMEX. And, only about 10% of our semen sales and doses actually go to the Canadian market. And the 90% of the sales that we make obviously go to other countries around the world. And we always make sure the Canadian farmers come first, uh, but more importantly, the semen sales that we're able to make globally, uh, we're able to use uh, those revenues and those profits to return to the industry here in Canada uh, not just to support the infrastructure programs that you know I talked about earlier, uh, but also to reinvest in new technologies so that you know for that 10% of the product that does come uh, to the Canadian breeders, uh, they know for sure that it's as high a quality uh, as possible and that we've been able to implement uh, the most recent technologies uh, into our day-to-day -day operations. And just to round it out here, Brad, besides Brydon Astrojet, we do want to ask you who your favorite bull of all time would be. Well, that's that's a good question. I think every every kind of bull generation has a favorite bull. Mm -hmm. And, you know, truthfully, the bulls of today that we're producing are way better than the bulls that we produced 20 years ago. Um, when you see the productivity and the uniformity of of two-year-olds, first, second lactation animals. I mean, you know, I think we have a lot of favorite bulls, but I, I think in the, the early days, you think about Starbuck and Aerostar as being kind of two pivotal bulls for the Canadian industry uh, for two different reasons. Um, Starbuck, of course, was a bull that could sire, you know, productive animals, high fat and protein percentages at the time, uh, but was really able to transmit that into his sons as well. And then of course, Aerostar came along and not a high type bull, not of not a lot of all Canadian, all American Aerostar daughters. But when you take a look at Aerostar and the pedigrees that he ended up being part of, 
uh, as far as high productive animals that ranked high and and ranked very well in, in a lot of proving scales globally. Um, you know, that's kind of the, the, the different kind of impact bull, uh, I think, that's brought the, the Canadian industry forward. So those are a couple of bulls that I think industry-wide have been pretty impactful. I don't think you'll get any arguments there, Brad. No. No, for sure. For sure not. Well, we thank you for being our first legacy guest. You were fantastic. Maybe we'll have you back and talk about, probe into a few more things within the product development department and and maybe talk about a new millionaire sire sometime. Mm -hmm. That would be great. That'd be great. Thank <laughs> you very much. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Brad. If you like this podcast, give us a four-star review. It really helps others find the show and learn more about CMEX, our people, our programs, and our services. See you in the next episode.